Welcome to Meet Your Funeral Celebrant. My name is Tony Piper, and in each episode of this podcast, I'll be talking with a funeral celebrant. As well as getting to know them and exploring their approach to funerals, each guest will also share some useful tips. I hope this helps you find the right celebrant for you so you can create a good send-off. So let's begin. This episode, I'm delighted to be talking to Justine Wykerd. Justine is based in Studley, near Stratford-upon-Avon in Warwickshire, and has been a funeral celebrant since 2013. By way of fun facts, Justine did the world's highest bungee jump for charity, and that was 708 feet into a gorge to raise funds for the David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, which was saving the elephants. She also represented South Africa and won the World Aerobic Championships in America in 1997. More recently, she's just won the title Celebrant of the Year at the Good Funeral Awards 2017. Hi, Justine. Welcome to the podcast and congratulations on your award. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, for somebody who uses words as part of their daily job, I can only use the term gobsmacked when my name was called out at the awards ceremony. It was um, very highly contested with some very, very credible celebrants um, who were all nominated as finalists. So it was a a huge honour to have my name called out. Thank you. Well, I'm really pleased for you. Why don't you fill in some of the gaps and tell us a little bit more about you? Me? Well, my story, originally I started off in 2012 as a celebrant and I was only really going to stick to the happy stuff, i.e. weddings. I wasn't going to go anywhere near funerals. However, I still did my training And I thought, well, at least that makes me a complete celebrant. I just don't need to promote myself necessarily. (laughs) However, in the August of that 2013, my hand was forced, shall we say, in a polite way, in that a friend of a friend's granddad had died. And she asked if I would just chat to the family about the funerals and how they go and what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And I'll I'll never forget the date. The funeral was the 8th of August 2013. And when I spoke to the family, I thought it was just an information chat. And they said to me, well, would you do the service for us? And I think it was Michael Michael Caine that was quoted as saying, be like a duck, remain calm on the surface and paddle like hell underneath. And that's exactly what I did. I think that was my response. But uh, we put together a lovely service, I'd like to think so, and it was a good introduction for me into funeral celebrancy in that the family really wanted to celebrate this gentleman's life. He had had a good life, a full life and a fulfilling life, and they wanted to remember him as such. And their approach was to celebrating his life, and that's what we did. And at the end of that day, and in fact much later that evening, half past nine at night, when I got a phone call from his widow, who had taken the time out of what must have been one of the worst days she was ever going to go through, and say to me, thank you. I realised then what a difference that funeral celebrants can make if you do it the right way. And that is really what encouraged me 
to then approach funeral directors in the first instance and go, here I am, I'd love to do some work with you and support your families. And that's really how I got into funeral celebrancy. We never know when we're going to be called to do this work. We don't, we don't. And as I say, it was the last thing on my mind. I have a very corporate background in the first instance. And I I think it is right to say I I didn't choose this path. It chose me. And I'm absolutely delighted. I wouldn't change it for the world. It's now what I do 100% of the time. Ah, I was going to ask, do you do do many weddings these days? Um, I do. I do do weddings as well as funerals. I do a lot more funerals than I do weddings. Weddings, um, I would say probably about 25 or so a year, about two a month, as people on the wedding side increasingly realise that they can think outside the box. Um, I have to say funerals bring a lot of reward though as well um but it is that that circle of life isn't it It, it's the happy days and the difficult days that celebrants are invited into and be the voice of a couple or a family on those two key days yes being there for all of the major events that happen in our lives sounds like a, a such a valuable uh, valuable thing for families to be there at the beginning and be there at the end. It It is. And, you know, it, it is a huge, and, and this is a word that is probably used so often by celebrants, but it is a huge privilege and an honour to be asked to share that day with people and yes. help guide them through it, mm-hmm. whichever end of that life cycle they are at, whether it's the start of a journey as a married couple or whether it's the end of a journey um, and one's life. What's most important to you about being a funeral celebrant then? Oh, for me, I would say that first and foremost, it's to portray the person as they were. And, you know, not all families are like the Von Trapps running through fields of sunflowers together. (laughs) Let's be honest, families are families. Um, and, And I think it is important to portray that person as they were. So if I was to to paint a picture of, um, you know, a, a warm, cuddly, person and and they weren't that way inclined I would have people looking at me going really because that's not the person that we know and I think that was influenced largely for me by two particular funerals and the one um, very sadly and this is many years before I do what I do now I attended the funeral for a close friend who had sadly taken his own life. And during the service, myself and a few others, we kept on looking at each other going, have we got the right place? They're saying the right name, but we don't know we've actually got the right place because that person that they're talking about wasn't the person that we knew. And that really, I think, set an example for me of what a funeral shouldn't be like. Mm-hmm. And then 
On the other hand, a funeral that had a huge positive impact on me was the funeral of one of my grands, my dad's mum. And that was just fabulous. And throughout the entire service, it was a minister that delivered the service. And afterwards, I said to him, that was superb. How did you get that so right? And um, my gran actually used to live in the States, in Vegas, used to enjoy being on the one-armed banders and had like her little green visor. And she was a right character. Hmm. And he said to me, I used to be a bookie. I'm an ex-bookie. And I thought, now, how appropriate is that for someone who was an ex-bookie to send off my nan that used to live in Vegas and do the one-armed bandits, painted her exactly as she was. And so for me, that's what's important. It's painting the right picture of the person. And that's the most important thing. Is there anything else? There is, Tony. I would say that when you meet the family beforehand, It's really making them feel comfortable, making them feel relaxed and connecting with them so that they share in in whatever way they can their memories. Mm. Um, You know, in, in, in most instances, I will walk into a family's home and I'm I'm asking private and personal and what may appear to be prying questions, you know, what were they like? What did they do? When were they born? What were their personality traits? And those are very intimate questions. Not everybody is happy to share. Some families mm. are very private. Yes. And it's really making the family feel comfortable and connecting with them that you aren't there to be the judge or jury of anybody. You are there to make sure that their loved one has the most fitting farewell. Tell me, what do you love most about the job? Oh, I think it's the reward at the end of the day with them saying, if I have been to visit them, that that was quite therapeutic. It wasn't expecting what they thought it was going to be. It's people nodding in agreement, actually, during the service as well. Mm. Um, Or afterwards, it's people saying, gosh, I didn't know that Mary knew a I'm often called a vicar or a minister or a celebrant, mm. whatever people like to call me. Mm. Uh, or it's people saying, you got her or him to a T. Mm. That, for me, I think is something that I really love the most. It's it's helping a family through a very, very difficult day. It, it's a lot of satisfaction personal personal satisfaction that I've been able to help someone through a difficult day, I would say. And through a day in which most of us approach it as one that, you know, we'd rather not be at. Absolutely. And it, it's funny that you mention that point, because very often when I go and see a family, that they, they will say, oh, we want to celebrate their per- that person's life. We want their people. We want people to laugh. We want people to enjoy things. And for all that they want that to happen, very often on the day, of course, emotions are just so strong and at such a height that you can't always celebrate in the way that you would like to, because you are, after all, mourning a loss. Um, so whilst we can mourn a loss, we are also celebrating life. But on the day, it can be a very different kettle of fish. Mm. What do you think makes for a good funeral then? 
am of the opinion that you should be able to smile at a funeral and in the same breath, I think, perhaps shed a tear at a wedding as well. Um, it's getting the person right. And you know that it's been a good funeral when you feel it. You can just feel that vibe. And again, I think it's people nodding in agreement with you. It is people having a little smile mm. um, and people acknowledging that you have got it right. Mm. But it is about that person. And they can be quite funny. I've had some some strange requests. I really have. Um, but it, it's not about me. It's about the family. And, and it is those requests that really make a good funeral because that is what the person is about. I'm interested to hear you talk about laughter at funerals. Um, have you got any more thoughts on that? I I have. And... And sometimes it's a stifled laugh as well because people aren't always sure that they are allowed to laugh. You know, yeah. people think, oh, we're at a funeral, we can't laugh. And and yeah. it's very much the opposite. You should be able to laugh and enjoy someone's life, especially when there are these little anecdotes that come out about people's life stories. Um, you know, people's little quirks and idiosyncrasies and particular things that they used to be able that they used to say I was asked once to buy a family to repeat a few lines and at first I was a little bit mortified is too strong a word I would say concerned because it, it was but politically incorrect there was one or two swear words in there and it wasn't typically something that I would say and that whole, you know, after I seen the family that night, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can say this. Oh, I don't think it's right. What about this? What about the other? And someone said to me, it's not about you. It's about the family and that person. And that is 100% correct. And so on the day of the funeral, I literally grabbed the bull by the horns and I thought, you know what? If we're going to do this, let's do it in the best way I possibly can. And let's just go for it full out. And I did. And it was pretty much the closing of the ceremony. And then when you look at everyone's faces and they are laughing and smiling and saying to each other, they got that right, then you know it's been a good funeral. And that's when the laughter really hits home as well. Right. I'd like to come to one of your funerals. They sound they sound very very uh, <laughs> uplifting. I've had I've had some wonderful funerals, and um, I think my my style. Every celebrant has their own style, and that's what I feel is important. That makes a good funeral as well. It's matching the celebrant to the family, and it, it's a very important role that funeral directors really have is for them to to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Very often a family will approach me directly or they will say to the funeral director, could you ask Justine to do the service if she's available? And that's a huge compliment. But but matching the family to the celebrant is really, really key. And and my style is that. I mean, my, my card actually says a celebration of life because I do have more of an uplifting style or so I'd like to believe. Um, and... 
Yes, I, I've I've been asked to do some some wonderful things, some some real good, exciting, lovely funerals. I have to say, if funerals can be lovely, and that's what people often say to me as well. Hmm. That was lovely, if I'm allowed to say it was lovely. <laughs> hmm. Do you have any thoughts on children at funerals? I do, and and every that is a very emotive topic, and. It's different for every family and every child. Me, personally, I like to see children at funerals. Um, But only that particular family and that child will know. Mm. And incredibly, children are a lot more resilient, I think, than what we give them credit for. And, And my opinion now, death is actually a part of life. And very often us as adults can be too protective. I've learned a lot from children being at the funerals that I've officiated. And when you see a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old wanting to stand up front and deliver a memory or a little tribute or story about their their granddad, their grandma, their nan, their pop, whatever they used to call them, they really, they can command the audience, so to speak. And when you follow a seven or eight year old that's done that, you really have to step up to the mark. Um, but but there, are, there are different ways of including children in, in those funerals. And in some, you know, we do get these beautifully decorated coffins nowadays um, where people can draw on them, leave notes on them. They have personalized wraps around them. And I think that in itself helps change the atmosphere of what is a very difficult day as well. It helps contribute towards that perhaps. But I, if I may tell you a, a little story, um, it was several months ago now I was doing a, a funeral for what would have been a, a great grandmother and the little baby who oh, could only have been one, not even, um, during, was sitting on her mother's lap at the front of the service. And during the committal, as the coffin was lowered at the crematorium I was at, the coffin can lower ever so slightly, which is, of course, the family's choice. Mm. And as that happened, and we were saying farewell to the great-grandmother, this little baby actually blew a raspberry and waved as the coffin lowered. Wow. <laughs> which just set about, you mentioned laughter earlier, and that set about everybody having a little giggle. Although it may have been stifled, it really lightened the day. And that is such a lovely memory that people have taken away from that day. And I'm sure it will be repeated at this poor little girl's 18th or 21st birthday and every major life celebration after that is remember when you blew a raspberry and waved at your great grandma as she lowered. <laughs> um, but I, I think children at a funeral service make it make it real. They bring life to the service, and and after all, it is that circle of life, isn't it? It is. And I can't help but wonder whether having children at funerals encourages us to make them things that we participate in rather than something we just observe while the celebrant does all the work up front. Yes, yes. And, you know, I I guess I would like to say there have been no families where there have been 
youngsters running riot and shouting and screaming because that is a concern to many families as well as that's why they don't take young ones into a service as they feel that they may be disruptive and um, take the focus away from the loved one that we're saying goodbye to but you know in in the same breath I think it does make light of the day no, that's the wrong thing to say. You can't make light of the day, can you, given the circumstances? Of course we can't. But it can make the day lighter. Yes. Yes. And if you have activities such as, you know, encouraging them to share um, a, their own tribute or to do things like drawing on the coffin. I've been to funerals where people have been invited to to sign the coffin as if, you know, as if as one might sign a plaster cast you know, using Sharpie pens as a final way of sort of, you know, expressing something and and saying goodbye. And maybe children help us do that. Similarly, um, a service that I officiated, there was a beautiful, beautiful spread of flowers on the coffin. And it was a, a wicker coffin. It was beautiful. And when you looked at it in the first instance, it looked like a huge, big array of flowers, just magnificent colour. But at the end of the service, what it actually was that nobody else knew, other than myself and the family and the funeral director, was that those flowers were little individual bunches of flowers. And what was asked what we were asked to do is at the end of the service, there was um, two, two younger children there and they were asked to help hand out those little individual bunches of flowers to the other ladies and the other mourners that were at the service. So they were taking something away with them. And so to get them involved in that way Mm. was truly lovely as well because they were giving away nice colourful flowers. It was giving people something. It wasn't really um, standing outside and and being heartbroken, as I'm sure they were, Yes, but it was getting them involved in a little activity as well. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. It, it was. Is there anything in your experience that people worry about funerals that, that maybe they don't need to worry about? People do worry, yes. Um, whether they need to worry about it, I think is, is a, a slightly difficult one to answer, but the kind of things that they do worry about is the the process. So they often say to me, what happens when we get there? Where will we sit? What does it look like? And they worry about that. Do they need to worry about it? In their minds, yes, they do, because they want to make sure that that, that everything runs smoothly. Um, From, I guess, sitting on the other side of, of the fence, when you are the celebrant and when you're the funeral director, you know they don't need to worry about it because we will take very good care of them and making sure they go where they're meant to go when they do what they want to do, etc. So I always try, you, you asked me earlier on about, you know, what do I do as a celebrant? And I mentioned trying to make a family feel comfortable. Mm. 
probably nine times out of 10, I will actually draw them a little diagram of where people sit and what to expect and where we'll walk in and where we'll walk out. No Picasso by any means. Mm -hmm. But people then feel more comfortable that they know what they're getting into and they know what to expect. Um, The same thing, things that they worry about, dates. They're really concerned about getting dates right, like, you know, mom or dad did this in 1984 or was it 1985 or was it 1986? Yes, yes. And, you know, I, I say to people, look, don't worry about the nitty gritty detail about specific dates because I'm not going to stand up there and, and do a chronological life history. Um, we're really there to touch on the memories and the person that that loved one was and the memories they've left behind. So people do worry about dates and they worry about um, procedure and process, I would say. Mm. And you're able to put them at their ease. I certainly try my very best, yes, and and touch wood. <laughs> when I do leave, they, they very often say, oh, thank you. You know, I feel a whole lot better than I thought I was going to. Mm. A funeral done well can really bring a lot of relief and help us move on to the next stage of, of our grief. It can. And, you know, Tony, it's a good point that you make there because when, when I see families, there is so much going on yeah. from the point of them losing their loved one to the actual funeral. They are dragged from pillar to post, yeah. from paperwork from um, announcements, from flowers to arrangements to there's so much going on. And you actually don't really have time to grieve. Mm. And and I find that the funeral for many, many instances and families is really the first time you are able to sit and take it all in Mm. and perhaps then start your grieving process. And that, of course, varies for everybody, you know. But very often, the funeral is, is is the start of that process for many. And a good start, by the sounds of it. I'd like to think so. What was your most unusual funeral? Unusual ones. I've had some very creative ones, actually, and, and three particularly spring to mind. Um, the one was not that long ago, and I had the great pleasure of being able to meet the lady who was terminal, and she wanted to be very hands-on on her service, which she was. And she wanted to have champagne and canapes. That was what she wanted. She wanted everybody up dancing in the aisle, champagne, canapes, and she wanted the whole shebang. And we had to say to her, look, that's great, but it's not really that practical at the crematorium for different reasons. We had to consider other families. We had to consider glasses with lots of champagne, health and safety. And it just may not have been the time and the place to do exactly what she wanted. But we chatted about it and we agreed or she suggested, well, between us, we we, we suggested and agreed that. Of the five speakers, because she had five people that she wanted to say things at her service, we popped a bottle of champagne for them during the service. 
They each had a glass of champagne that they used to toast her at the end of their personal tributes. And we also gave a glass to the lady. We left it on the catafalque so that she had a glass with them as they were celebrating her life. That was one came to mind. And they also had their dog with a flower garland around her neck, which was which really was lovely. Um, another one, I would say not not unusual, but again, memorable for me was um, the interment of ashes. And it, it, it's quite a lovely story and that, that, that the gentleman lost his wife about two and a half years previous. Not that that's the lovely part of the story, but they, they had lost it. He'd lost her about two and a half previously. They had originally lived at house number 10 in the road they lived in. They um, both had the number 10 in their room numbers at their respective care homes. Mm -hmm. The gentleman died on the 10th of the month and their ashes were going to be interred in plot number 10 at the cemetery. Mm -hmm. And we interred their ashes on their 70th wedding anniversary, which was the 10th. And what we did was we actually scattered, instead of scattering or instead of putting soil onto the casket when we put when we lay the ashes to rest, we actually scattered 70 red rose petals because it was their 70th wedding anniversary. Um, so whilst that isn't, we may class that as unusual, I'd like to think it was creative because they were back at number 10, their home where they started, number 10, they were back in plot number 10 at the cemetery together on their 70th wedding anniversary. And I thought that was such a lovely way of putting them back together. That does sound lovely. And you've also just reminded me about something that that seems to happen quite often and these sort of strange coincidences that occur or that we notice um, at times of bereavement. Have you had any other experiences like that? I'm going to have to say yes. <laughs> and um, in fact, two of them, very, very personal and close to my heart. The one was my other grand, so on my mum's side. And um, sadly, she died in 2009 now. But whenever... I went to visit her. My, my grandfather had passed away many, many moons before. Whenever I went to see her, she would, and there was a butterfly in the house or in the garden, she would say, oh, look, Pops come to visit. And so I always associated a butterfly with my granddad or a lost soul. Let's, not a lost soul or a person who had passed on and, mm. and they were now butterfly. Um, and on the day of her funeral, which was just, Dreadful, of course, you know, for, for every family it's dreadful. But as we were standing in the garden, waiting for the hearse to come down the road, there was genuinely a kaleidoscope of butterflies in the front garden. No way. And I took, I took, a, I took a, a deep breath, I swallowed, and I thought, you know what, this is going to be a horrible day, but it's going to be okay. Because look, Nanan's here and pops over there and it's fine. And, you know, that might be my little la-la land. Um, you know, people deal with things in different ways, don't they? But but that was one personal experience of these 
um, coincidences. Another one, and um, people might find this a little bit spooky. The day my dad died, um, unfortunately, only six weeks um, difference between my, my dad and my grand passing. But my dad had always had a clock on the wall that had a one of those big pendulums that swing, the mm-hmm. tick-tock clocks. Yep. And it never, ever worked. It just didn't work. It was the, the, the clock itself worked, but the pendulum just didn't go. And that's just one of those things. The day he died, that pendulum started swinging. Oh, goodness. And it was like, whoa. <laughs> and then three months later, um, New Year's Day, it stopped working again. And it was almost like a case of something or someone, some coincidence, whatever you want to call it, going, you know what? You've done your morning now. It's a new year. Let's start the new year afresh. Wow. Um, There was that. So those are two personal things that I have experienced. Um, And whether you make these things happen we couldn't have made the clock happen. Um, and whether you whether you make yourself see these things, I don't know. But, you know, I've, I've done several funerals for people where they've gone, oh, you know, my dad or my mom used to always feed a little robin that would come down and eat out of his or her hand. And then as you're leaving the funeral service, there's a little robin sitting in a tree. Now, that robin may well have always been sitting there, but it, it jumps out at you. Yes. On that particular day. Yes. And th- there is a saying, isn't there, that uh, I think it's a penny, a white feather, a robin, a butterfly too, are all signs that they are looking out for you. Um, so those little coincidences I have seen happen, yes. And I- I'd like to think that they're real. And comforting. And very comforting, very, very comforting. In fact, when I when I um, set about becoming a celebrant and I didn't know what to call myself or what my logo should be, it seemed only natural to me that I included a butterfly because it related back to my grand and my own personal experiences. Um, and in fact, my strapline actually says what the caterpillar perceives as the end to the butterfly is just the beginning. and And that brings comfort to me. That's beautiful. Thank you. What's one piece of advice you have for anybody who might be organising a funeral at the moment? I would say don't think about what's right or wrong or what it should or shouldn't be like. And that is another thing that people worry about is, Mm -hmm what we should do. You don't need to do anything other than have a service that is fitting for that person and that family. So if classical music and hymns and prayers is was their style, that's what you should do. If Monty Pythons look on the bright side of life and whoopee cushions and things like that, is what was right for that person and that family, then that's what you should do. That would be my bit of advice, is do what's right for that person and that family. Don't worry about what tradition should be or what protocol dictates. 
That's great advice and empowering advice. So thank you very much for that. Alas, time is running away with us, Justine. I mean, I could talk to you all day. It's been an absolute pleasure and a joy to speak with you, Justine. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Is there any last words you'd like to add before we say goodbye? I would just say thank you very much for um, for having me and inviting me to be part of this wonderful podcast and I hope that sharing a few of my own personal experiences and stories will help other celebrants as well as other families really and um, what can make what can make their day special I know they will thank you so much good luck with thank all you, you. <laughs> take care thank you Tony alrighty thanks very much indeed take care bye-bye bye-bye